to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Angad Singh from Pix4D. Now, Angad is going to share with us the genesis of how drones have become used and the evolution of drone usage in the law enforcement setting and some of the really awesome, cool things that you can do with drones, specifically using their software, Pix4D Mapper, which allows you to fly a drone over a scene, traffic accident scene or a crime scene, and be able to analyze the data in such a way that it can be stitched together by their software to create and render a 3D virtual environment of that scene that you can go back to and look at at any time, as well as to be able to take very precise measurements uh, within the software of that scene. So we're going to talk about some really cool stuff with that. We're also going to talk about some um, other case studies and, and things that are being done around the country that are really innovative with the use of drones. Um, we're going to talk about why the drone technology and scanning a scene and uh, rendering it in this software is a better technology than some of the stuff that we've been used to using, like laser scanners, things like that. So I look forward to you joining me in this episode with my interview with Angad Singh from Pix4D. Well, Angad, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. It's really good to have you on today. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate being here. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode. I love talking about drones. I'm certainly not the most knowledgeable about them, and, and I tend to crash more of them than I actually successfully navigate. But it's still a really exciting topic because nothing to me epitomizes the idea of innovation in law enforcement than adopting drone technology. So today we're going to talk about your company, Pix4D, and how you guys are helping public safety industries as well as some other industries we'll talk about adopt drone technology, implement it into their day-to-day -day uses, and be able to capture drone imagery and then convert it to a 3D environment. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. That's what Pix4D does, and that's what, what I'm helping bring to the market. Awesome. So, so let's talk about the adoption of drone technology. Now, law enforcement is not exactly the most well-known all the time of adopting new technology in, in a quick manner. Uh, we tend to be rooted in our tradition, and we've talked about this on the show in previous episodes with uh, Anthony D. Molina of Tactical Drone Concepts, and we talked about this with uh, Scott Savage from Savage Training Group that we get so rooted in our tradition and just used to the way we always do things that we tend to be slow in the uptake of new technology. Sure. I've, I've heard that a lot from folks out there in public safety. However, 
I've seen a pretty consistent adoption rate since this technology became commercially viable and, and available as something that I consider to be easy to adopt. And so I think that comes down to public safety has a lower tolerance for risk, meaning that if you have a tool, you need to know that that tool works because you're going into different situations, right? It's not the same situation every day. It, it can be a very different situation, even though it's maybe in this, that same environment every day. And so you need to trust the tools that you're utilizing. And I think that in some ways is a safe way to adopt technology that you see other folks utilize it, you see and you learn from other folks' failures, maybe in different verticals or different agencies, and then you adopt it yourself. And I think that that actually is a safe way to adopt the technology. And so it's not it's not bad. We've seen a pretty good adoption rate, so I've been happy so far. Yeah, and that's a really good point. It's, it's almost using social proof as a means of of taking that risk and adopting the new technology or the new idea. So, it, and it's it's not just about the risk of adopting the technology itself, but we're talking about public perception here as well. And we're using taxpayer dollars to try these new things and try these new ideas and technology. And if it doesn't work out, we potentially have the backlash to face of the community saying, well, why did you spend all this money on something that we now can't use? Right. And so there's, there's a different level of responsibility that comes with being part of a publicly funded organization versus in the private sector. And so I'm assuming that that's a big part too, because you probably see higher adoption in private sector. We, we have seen higher adoption in private sector so far over the last couple of years, but I would not discredit the amazing adoption rate in public safety through North America and the way that we've seen it in the last few years. I know that some of the most successful programs that have started using drones and mapping software like Pix4D provides they're using discretionary funds or they're using Caesar dollars. So it's not necessarily coming from that standardized budget that's coming from the taxpayer. But sometimes when you get this, you know, surprise bag of money, then you can utilize that to test out the technology. And if you have agencies that test it out and are successful and they share those stories with the world, then other agencies can say, hey, now that risk of money, that, that financial buy-in that we're going to do to get this new technology it isn't considered as much of a risk anymore because we've seen success from other agencies that have done it. And, and I think that's one of the best ways that I've seen public safety work. And, and that's been one of my personal strategies as well, is that areas where we have influencers, areas that we have uh, you know, a warming up of the adoption rate, those areas are a lot easier to get hotter because you can pump effort into them and you can say, hey, this, this one individual at this sheriff's department is doing all these amazing things, and you share those stories with folks at adjoining agencies, and they trust that information because they know that guy. They they know where he lives. They know his his uh you know what the geography that they're dealing with every day is. And we've seen that actually provide a pretty consistent pattern of growth for drones and public safety across the board. Yeah, and then it just grows and swells from there. And I mean, I've been involved in that myself. And you, you're absolutely right. That is exactly how it works uh, in the law enforcement industry. I, I assume around the country, I mean, I know certainly um, where I'm from here in Colorado, having been an administrator of a law enforcement agency here, that was exactly the way things worked. I mean, we used to get together, we had a seven county judicial district and on a routine basis, usually monthly, all the chiefs and sheriffs, under sheriffs would get together in one place at one time, 
to meet as as a region and not only to talk about what's going on, but you know, there was always sidebar conversations of, hey, I'm looking for a new body camera technology, or I'm looking for this, or I have this problem. What are you guys doing to resolve that? And we would all share those ideas and bounce them off of each other. And, you know, usually there were certain key agencies or, or people that were more influential than others, right? So when they made a decision to adopt something, Everybody else looked at that and said, that's the thing for all of us to do. That's the pillar, if you will. And so that that social proof is absolutely, it's powerful and it, and it works. So I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear that you discovered that, that golden nugget and how that works and that that's uh, been a successful tactic for you. Now, I know you've been, you've been involved with drones for a long time. You've been uh, steeped in it, if you will. And so I, I'd like to see if you can take some time here to tell us from your perspective, what does the evolution of drone technology look like? Where where has that started? Where has it brought us to now? And then how does that correlate on the timeline with its adoption in you know law enforcement, private security, fire, and, and other public safety type industries? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. I think that's a great question. And when we look at drones and we look at the evolution of this technology, these drones, these small quadcopters that we think of today that can cost roughly 1500 bucks and then make their way up from there, they're not actually developed from the innovations of the aerospace industry with the big drones that the military's been using for the last 20-odd years. But the reality is that these small quadcopters that we're adopting in public safety have actually been developed out of the cell phone technology, out of smartphones. A drone is a flying camera, just like your cell phone is this camera that you walk around with every day. And to get the flying camera to operate properly, we needed to have GPSs that were really cheap and small. We had to have IMUs uh, and accelerometers and these little tiny plastic parts that were cheap and small. And now because they're being produced at such scale, because everybody in the world, for the most part, has a smartphone now, when we reached economies of scale with cell phone development and cell phone manufacturing, the drone industry was able to take those small bits of plastic and take those smaller, cheaper cameras and now build a flying robot that works with it. And so the reality is, as cell phones became super popular in the last 10 to 15 years, drones have been built off that. And now in the last 10 years, that's what we really consider the drone industry to be. 10 years, the first five years from the early, from the early 2010s, were when these things were coming out and they were considered just tools and you know YouTubers were buying them and Hollywood was starting to adopt them. And then really about 2015, we saw enterprise, meaning you know oil gas companies, mining companies, land surveyors, as well as public safety, look at these drones and say, wait, that's a tool that I can take advantage of and that will make my life easier and safer and better. And so really the last five years since 2015 to, towards today, have been when we've seen adoption into public safety. I would say that in 2015, we had the super early adopters, the guys that were taking technology that was not built for them, but repurposing it for themselves. And then in 2016, we saw them writing use cases and saying, this works, we can do this. And then in 2017, I started to see more agencies picking it up and finding those influencers that had been in it for a year or two years. And then really 2018 was the year where we started to actually see money coming into it and seeing public safety uh, drone specific conferences pop up around the country. And then 2019, man, last year we saw a lot of adoption. 
we saw regional groups start. You know, in California, there's there's multiple regional groups of, like you were saying earlier, Adam, groups of, of, of chiefs and and uh, deputy sheriffs and et cetera, who are getting together and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing every day. This is the drone model I'm using. This is the software I'm using. And then there's this group called Drone Responders that's led by uh, former Charlottesville Fire Chief uh, Charles Warner. And so when Chief Warner retired, he said, we need a group for the world that will develop training and develop uh, standards for drone adoption into public safety. And that's what drone responders has kind of positioned itself as. So now we even have national groups that go and sit with the FAA and sit with you know leaders of public safety and say, how can we standardize the workflows and the routines so that everybody can grow together? Yeah, that's a really interesting background that you share on that and the, the genesis of all those things. It's interesting to me, and I'm fascinated by the fact that you shared, you know, how there's this misconception that drone technology, in, in this case, the quadcopter, was adopted from military technology because it's, it is really different. And and I wonder how, how did we get to a point where the industry was referring to them as drones rather than quadcopters? Because really... Truly, a drone is an unmanned jet aircraft that yeah. the military uses. So, exactly. so why was that term applied to these quadcopters? Where did that come from? How did it get adopted? And, and now we're kind of stuck with it, right? What are your yep. thoughts on that? So we're definitely stuck with it. And we're not even just considering we're stuck with it. We're rolling with it. I would say in 2016, there was a big effort to change the name of these quadcopters away from drones. When the government writes white papers or when academia writes white papers and academic papers on this subject, they usually use the acronym SUAS, Small Unmanned Aerial System. And it is properly a system, right? I mean, you can have a UAV, which is the actual unmanned aerial vehicle or the drone itself. But when we refer to the whole thing, it's a system. It's a small unmanned aerial system. Now, you have plenty of folks out there that will say, what's our SUAS budget? Or, you know, there's a, out of California, there's a, a newspaper or, a, you know, an online media blog called SUAS News. We really tried hard to get away from using the word drone. And then I think by 2018, the industry realized that we just got to call it a drone. Because when you stand up on stage and you say SUAS, nobody knows what you're talking about unless they're in the in, right? And the general public's like, what's an SUAS? And so now we just call it a drone. Yeah. You know, everybody's given anybody that goes well, once on it, once it gets now, adopted is that, you know, you're kind of stuck with it, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we've talked now a little bit about the evolution of, of the drone itself. L let's talk about the, the exact problem that we're facing here or that law enforcement agencies, public safety agencies are facing and how you're help, helping them overcome that. So I'm assuming that at its core level, really the problem is inefficiencies in, in investigation processes, as well as safety of officers in the field. And, and so I guess, tell me about that. We'll unpack that problem. What is it? And what is PIX4D set to do as a so software solution to help resolve those problems? Sure. So Adam, when you say inefficiencies, all I'm thinking is time, right? When we say inefficiencies in an investigation, sure. I think of time. When we say, you know, inefficiencies in, in traffic officer safety, when a road is closed, right? The longer that somebody's standing out there on an open roadway, that's inefficient and that decreases their safety overall, right? 
I mean, that's why we see so many you know traffic officers or or just you know folks out there telling traffic where to go who actually get hit by oncoming traffic or are you know injured in that line of duty. That inefficiency comes down to time, and I think that's really what the drone is solving: is it's increasing the speed at which we can do stuff. So when we go to let's talk about like collision reconstruction, this is probably the most uh, important single application for me and for Pix4D as a company. And that is you have a, you know, a, a typical two car collision on a two lane road, depending on where the vehicles are sitting at rest, you may have to open one lane, you know, to allow traffic to flow or you're closing it down completely. And when that's happening, everybody's pretty pissed off, right? I hate waiting in traffic. It really pisses me off. So here you take out the older school technology of, you know, a roller tape or a metal tape or a laser scanner or a total station. And it can take an hour or two hours to record all the evidence on that scene, to record the tire tracks, the gouge marks, where all of the, you know, the vehicle parts lay at rest. And now with a drone, I can fly that drone over that scene in 15, 20 minutes. It takes a bunch of photos. And now you know you've collected your digital evidence. You've collected the photography of that scene using that drone, using that flying robot. And then you can clean up the road and move forward right there. That's the inefficiency of using a technology where you have to have the scene right there in front of you and you need to record it. Whereas with the drone, you can record it from the air quickly with the drone. And then our software, Pix4D software, will take all those images and turn them into a highly accurate 3D model as well as a two-dimensional map. And that can be done in an office. So all the processing of the imagery into that 3D model, into that two-dimensional map is done in an office outside of the roadway when the road has already been cleaned up and traffic has gone back to normal. Um, and that's the first inefficiency is, is right there. Let's get the road open faster. Let's get guys out of the road quicker because you can use a drone to record the scene in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And I think that's really, really one of the key components of this is time. And now if we look at probably the second most powerful application and maybe the application that I think personally every human out there should want their public safety agency that's local to them to have a drone for is search and rescue, right? I mean, when, you know, when you have somebody that's out there, a lost hiker or a kid that's gone missing, you got to find them. And that's actually an application where time is truly of the essence. And we want to find them quicker than we don't want to find them, right? If the drone's in the right. air and it's searching, right, you can put it into a grid pattern. So the drone will fly a automated grid pattern just like if you had a group of volunteers doing a line search, now that drone is taking photos from the air, looking down in a line search or grid search pattern, and that's systematically searching your whole area. So then you can look at a 4K you know, or a high-definition TV screen and make this image super large, and you can look at it, and you can say, hey, that kind of looks like the corner of that kid's jacket, or here I can see some tracks through the snow that I know are not, you know, deer or bear tracks. That looks like a human was lost there. Let's go inspect it. Let's go check it out. And that's really where I think drones are making big waves is decreasing the time so that I think officers can then increase their time doing other tasks, like focusing on the investigation itself rather than the collection of the data to then do that investigation. Yeah, I mean, the applications are many and you've, you've listed a couple of the major ones there, but I mean, there, there are also so many more. And I think that just the ones you listed make it apparent that it's an obvious 
technology to adopt, right? I, I don't see why any law enforcement agency wouldn't want to. There's obviously other barriers in, in place that uh, maybe people are struggling with in adopting the technology, whether that's money or approval from their governing authority, you know, city council or, or whatever that may be. But it, it's obviously an effective tool. And, and I think as an additional efficiency that I'm thinking of here, just as you're describing these uses, I can't tell you how many times that I have gone to a scene, mapped it out by hand, right? Whether, and we're not just talking about traffic scenes here. I'm also talking about outdoor crime scenes, right? And how many times I've been to a crime scene and, and sketched it out and, you know, collected all of our evidence, photographed everything, and then went home and went to bed and, and, you know, had this epiphany of, oh, shoot, I should have taken a closer look at this particular space or this spot or this area, right? And so we've all been there, done that. And I think the huge benefit here is the ability to go back in virtual space to that scene and be able to look at things again and identify, is there something I overlooked that uh, we didn't see when we were there the first time? And that that's huge. That's unparalleled to me as, as an advantage that this technology offers. Exactly, Adam. Exactly. You get to revisit the scene. That's why we call this a digital twin. This 3D model that we're making with the drone photos and software like Pix4D is a digital twin of reality where now exactly what was in that exact moment when the photos were taken, we have a fully realistic 3D model that you can revisit. And now Let's take this idea and let's take it an even step further and look at the overarching long-term strategy, which is not always something that folks really think about. It's like, okay, the benefit of today is that I, I went and flew my drone and I captured all that photography and now I can make a fully realistic 3D model to actually revisit that scene, do my investigation right there. But now what happens when we have 50 scenes or 100 scenes or in the future, thousands and thousands of scenes that are being captured with this type of data. Well, we can use it for training. And I think as VR and as AR technology gets better and we can get these VR headsets, we're going to be putting firefighters and policemen and policewomen and soldiers through VR headsets where the realistic scene that was the reality that was captured by the drone and produced in that 3D model is now the base environment that they're using to do training. And so if you have an outdoor crime scene and you have this 3D model of what it looked like, what that carnage looked like afterwards, we're going to put it in the VR headsets, you know, five years down the road and have folks train going through that. And so now you have people that are pseudo more wise because they've seen a scene a hundred times in a VR headset, where in reality, they may only get, or get the chance to see that once or twice to then train, what are we looking for? How do we react better? How do we investigate better? So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting futuristic look at uh, what the capabilities are of this. And that, that's something I didn't think about. But I mean, you're, you're absolutely right that there's there's that opportunity there to really create scenarios, if you will, that you can drop someone in to, to say, all right, tell me how you would resolve this scene. Right. And I think that's, uh, that's huge. I didn't think about the training aspect of it. That's a, that's a really unique idea. Uh, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. I have buddies in the, in the drone field, right? That 
we have our tech companies, et cetera. And this is kind of the stuff that we're looking at for the long term, because we know that this will this will just be a win win for everybody. Um, and I think that a lot of folks are not thinking about the long term effects of the technology that we implement right today. And that's definitely one of the long ones. And it ties back to what you were saying earlier, where what are the actual hindrances of technology adoption? Well, for someone like me, I think I suffer to think about what those hindrances really may be. But that's why we need other people out there that are definitely like thinking about the doomsday of the tech, because there's always unintended consequences. You know, it's just like our cell phones today, right? We have these kids that keep scrolling on Instagram. And sure, when the like button was developed and when social media came out, it was like, wow, these are all win-wins. But now we realize that we've actually changed the fundamental brain chemistry of how some of these kids' brains are developing because they sit at a phone and have constant you know, dopamine feedback loops all the time. It's the same thing with innovation in, in public safety, that there are definitely going to be some unintended consequences of new technology adoption. And sometimes I actually am grateful for slowly adopting stuff. Because then we think about it more and we can see and, and correct behavior that may may have negative long-term consequences, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I actually want to unpack that a little bit because there's, there's a program out there already that I think is very futuristic in its application of, in using drones. I love the concept, but I, I also think to tie back to this conversation that you just started, that there are a lot of potential or there is a lot of potential for unintended consequences going forward. And I don't know exactly what they are, but I think we're going to see them. And so that program, I'm assuming you know about it, is the Drones as a First Responder Program with Chula Vista PD in California. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chula Vista actually has Pix4D as a software as well. Um, I know. Well, there you go. Yeah, one that's of, a good plug. Yeah, Vern, <laughs> uh, Captain Vern Sale was over there. He just uh, just moved on. Now he works for Axon as one of their their drone uh, drone public safety experts. And and Fritz re, uh, Fritz used to be he's at Skydio now, which is another American quadcopter drone company. And Fritz really helped that program develop at Chula Vista. So yeah, in the drone industry, we we revere Chula Vista as a fantastic example of what could be. Yeah, and before we before we talk about that program here, because I do want to, I want to discuss what that is for anybody that's listening to the show that doesn't know about it. Now that I know that you have connections there, I might ask you to put me in touch with somebody, or if anybody on the show is from Chula Vista or who's listening to the show is from the Chula Vista Police Department, I've reached out to them a couple of times. I would love to have somebody from the Chula Vista Police Department on the show to talk about that program because it is the epitome of innovation. And so far, my my requests have, have gone unanswered, so I might be not reaching out to the right people, but uh, I would love to have them on to talk about the program. I'll help you with that. I found that the Chula Vista guys just get so inundated with requests because of how oh, I'm sure how public their program is. Um, I'll help you out with those connections. Don't worry about that, Adam. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, that that'll be a good follow up to this. We've kind of <laughs> unintentionally started a drone series here on the Public Safety Innovators podcast between episode three with Anthony D. Molina talking about tactical drone concepts and what they do. But now, you know, that led to talking to you because we talked a little bit about Pix 4D in that episode. And so that led to this conversation with you, which hopefully will lead to the conversation with Chula Vista PD about uh, the drones as a first responder program. So I, I wonder, you know, I was going to kind of summarize 
what that program is, but I think you're a lot closer to it. I know you're a lot closer to it now. So maybe you can actually summarize for us, what is that program all about? What are they doing and why is it so innovative? Sure. So this is my basic understanding of it and know that I am not the expert on this subject at all. But the idea is that the drone is the first responder, meaning the drone shows up on site first. So if they get a call in, they have a knowledge of where that call is coming from, and then the drone will go to that location automatically. And yes, it has to be with some perimeter of where the drone is being launched from, etc. But the idea is that you get the drone in the air and you start recording that scene immediately from the air. So you know that, okay, you get a domestic dispute. Well, now there's a drone hovering over that individual or that family's home recording everything. That guy's less likely to run away. You know, you have a traffic collision or a hit and run and suddenly a drone is, you know, looking at you from the top. You're less likely to leave because now you're under surveillance and the video's there. And I think that that's kind of one of the most innovative programs out there. But it's also something where you get a lot of critics too, right? Because of the privacy concerns. I think one of those unintended consequences, like we talked about earlier, and this is definitely something that affects, you know, Pix4D as well, is that now you're taking imagery of something. You're taking video of something. What if you capture another crime in that imagery or in that video? Yeah, that's you, a good point. And you prosecute on that? Was that a violation of of somebody's privacy? These are all considerations as well that we have to take seriously. Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you my opinion from a s- semi-legal standpoint, just based upon my knowledge of things, but I am not an attorney, so I'm not giving advice, just disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I would think, I would think in that scenario, I, I mean, it, it's open in public space, right? And it's the same concept as if you, you have other surveillance cameras in uh, city environments and that sort of thing. You capture a crime in progress that wasn't the intended target of your surveillance. Of course, it's still prosecutable. You're in the public space and any more like it or not. And maybe this is part of the reason why I live out in the boonies in the middle of nowhere, because I don't like I I enjoy my privacy and I don't like invasions of it. Um, But there's there's cameras everywhere. Everywhere you go anymore, you have to assume that there are cameras. And it's sort of the, the, the thing that law enforcement nowadays are dealing with anyway that they have to assume that everywhere they go and everything they do, regardless of just their body camera, they're always being recorded. And the the public is the same. And so I guess those are some of those unintended consequences, right? I mean, we're changing the the field of what privacy looks like in policing going forward and, and how, how that pans out, right? I mean, one of these drones captures a crime uh, in progress that uh, um, wasn't the intended target of the surveillance. You know, what What do you do with that? Right. And ultimately, the courts are going to have to figure that out. And we're just going to have to see where that goes. You know, not to be a conspiracy theorist, because that's not where I'm going with this. But, you know, it makes me think back to I love the Terminator movies. The Terminator movies are are like my favorite series. Right. And now I'm thinking of like drones showing up, deploying RoboCops. Uh, <laughs> onto, the, onto the street, right yeah. before the before the human cops get there. You know? <laughs> That's basically what Chula Vista's program kind of is like. You know, it's a baby of that, and and that's why these movies. Are oh, special. be careful! Be careful now. We yeah, don't want to yeah. start. <laughs> what I'm saying is now building on that, right? You know, and I'm being careful here. Don't worry, Adam. 
is that yeah we don't want to we don't want to blame Chula Vista for the end of the world here you no, know? No, no. We have a great, great folks out of there really nice people but uh with hearts in the right place you know but the thing is for those like guys like myself in technology that are bringing this technology to market thinking about it taking the feedback from our end users and building it better and stronger we need to watch these doomsday movies because it makes us think about those consequences more so that we can more wisely understand the world around us. Hey everybody, just me popping in here for a quick break. I want to thank you, first of all, for listening to the show. It's because of faithful listeners like you that we have now far exceeded over 4,000 downloads of the show and that we're able to bring in really awesome guests on the show. So I'd like to ask you to please share this show with your friends. And most importantly, please go and leave a review wherever it is that you listen to the Public Safety Innovators podcast. Those reviews help all of those different podcast directories, algorithms to display this show to other people like you that may be interested in listening to it. So please go ahead and head over to psi.chat forward slash review. And I've made it super easy there for you to leave a review on iTunes, Podchaser, and Stitcher. So please head over to psi.chat forward slash review. And then let's go ahead and dive back into the show. Back to the Chula Vista thing, you know, and I give a use case there. When we were talking on episode three with Anthony D. Molina, we talked about a scenario that they had there where they had received a call about somebody in a park with a with a handgun. And they had their their drones showed up first and were able to identify that it was actually a, a lighter that uh, was shaped like a small handgun. And, you know, they saw him pull it out and light a cigarette with it. And so, of course, the huge advantage there was that the responding officers that came to that scene were able to respond in a very different way than what they probably would have without that information. <laughs> and so, you know, we see yet again in this scenario, a, a different application of drone technology where it's helping to increase public safety as a whole, but also officer safety, right? Those officers are not going in amped up thinking they're about to end up in a deadly force scenario. And the public is safer because of it, because they're not going in thinking they're about to end up in a deadly force scenario, right? Um, Exactly what you just said is why that story is told so many times at conferences and, and, and through the media is because that is a brilliant story of what this technology can do. Because we know that, yeah, that that is something that the public is concerned about right now. And a story like that can really quell some of those fears or make the situation safer for everybody involved. And I think that's one of the key components of technology like drones, right? Same thing when we're looking at collision reconstruction. We want to make it safer for everybody involved. And yes, you need to investigate that collision. You need to investigate that accident. You need to collect data so that you can go back and measure the gouge marks measure the skid marks, see where all that evidence lays at rest. And so you fly the drone over the scene, you take all those photos and make that 3D model. And now it's made it safer for everybody involved because they can do their investigation when they're in a calmer place in an office rather than out there in the real world where there's traffic buzzing by. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, since we kind of got started on discussing case studies here, you know, I'd love to hear maybe some other case studies or stories that you're aware of, not necessarily with Chula Vista, but just in general, other clients, other customers, if you will, the law enforcement agencies that are utilizing the PIX4D software and, you know, how they have successfully adopted drone technology and are using it in a way that uh, has solved cases or, or saved a life, whatever. What, what do you have on that? So I think that one of like one of the people that I really look up to is Bill English. Uh, he's the senior investigator in charge at the NTSB or the National Transportation Safety Board. And uh, for example, you know Kobe Bryant's helicopter accident was mapped in with the drone and, and Pix Forty Mapper. That you know horrendous event with the outdoor crime scene in Las Vegas, the, you know, the largest crime scene in American history with the shooting. Um, at one of the casinos that was mapped with Pix4D, um, so that they could go back and revisit the scene as a digital twin or a 3D model. Um, and so we've seen that Pix4D has been used a lot. Yes, there's all across the country. I know that, you know, Washington State Patrol is one of the largest drone programs in the country today, and they really only use drones for mapping collision scenes. And that biggest advantage is that you get a fully realistic model of what the scene looks like and you can clear the road faster so i think it's 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 an innovation on the collection standpoint but also i know that you know you know this from from your work and and your experience adam is that when you go out there and you mark different things on the ground and you mark evidence points at a collision on the ground as a human operator as a you know a person doing that you could miss something right i mean when you look through a polarized pair of sunglasses and figure out where the end of a skid mark starts and begins every collision reconstructionist you know or accident investigator out there in the real world they're always it's an interpretation how long the skid mark really is where does it start where does it begin but if you have it on a 3d model and the pixel shows that okay this is the roadway and then it gets a bit darker on the next pixel that's a lot more scientific and a lot more transparent of a method of measuring that skid mark than somebody doing it on the ground when they're stressed out because you have traffic going by and the road has to get open. And so, yeah. So let me ask about that here real quick too. I mean, I assume this is in large part more uh, dependent upon the actual technology of the drone and the cameras that are being used that are, that are chosen by that law enforcement agency more so than it is your software. But I'm wondering like, what is the accuracy level uh, of these measurements? Like, is are we talking feet, inches, millimeters? What 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 does that look like? We're talking uh, centimeters, half an inch, quarter of an inch. So, okay. Uh, so, just like when we look at collision reconstruction in the science, and we see that 15, 20 years ago, we had survey technology, you know, start to be used. So, laser scanners, total stations, which are super high precision laser-based measurement devices that can sometimes cost fifty, hundred thousand dollars And this is typically what large state agencies and larger collision reconstruction programs are using. These were survey technology that then collision reconstruction folks adopted. It's the same way with drones. PIX40 Mapper, which is our flagship solution, which is the software that the majority of my collision reconstruction clients buy, it was designed as a survey tool. So we have land surveyors, Department of Transportation, state agencies, you know, civil engineers using PIX40 Mapper to create survey-grade 3D models that they can then do civil engineering design work on top of. So if this 
if this technology can be certified by land surveyors who have to stamp it with their personal license saying, yes, the accuracy or tolerance of this data set is X, well, it's the same way with collision reconstruction guys. They go and they make their model and they do an independent check of the accuracy, which means that the software tells them the accuracy, but you need to check it yourself, meaning that usually you go out and you put a tape measure on the ground or you take two survey points um, across the roadway and so you know the exact, exact measurement there. Well, you just compare that to what the software process is and then you can tell that is the accuracy. So I know that was a little bit long-winded of an answer, but basically, yeah, we can give you half an inch, quarter of an inch, depending on how you follow the workflow and what you collect in the field. And in terms of equipment that folks are using to do this, most of the time they're using a drone that costs 1500 bucks or $2,000. And there's really only four or five good options on the market today for this application. And most of them have 20 megapixel cameras. So we've also started to see a general standardization of the equipment that's being utilized across the board. And definitely the software is pretty standardized. I mean, Pix40 is really the only player in this that's being utilized heavily. And so you get a couple different models of drone, one software that really folks are using. And from there, if we can standardize the equipment and I can standardize the training, then we can really make sure that the accuracies and the workflows are also standardized. And that's good for everybody across the board, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could have just responded with, yeah, it's really accurate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, pre I appreciate that detailed explanation because, you know, for the guys and, and gals that are listening to the show that are traffic investigators, I, I am not, I never have been. I was the guy that tried to avoid going to traffic scenes uh, as much as I could. Um, <laughs> but for those folks, because they have, most of them have a very mathematical mind. Yeah. Um, you really have to in order to be a traffic investigator an accident investigator. So for them, that explanation that you just gave, I'm sure is, is really beneficial uh, and, and will mean something to them. So thank you for that, for that detail. Let's put ourselves in the shoes, or actually I should probably say in the boots of uh, this traffic investigator who's utilizing uh, a drone to map their scene. So now they've, they've finished mapping the scene and they have their, they collected their photographs, their, their data, uh, and they're going back to the office. Can you kind of describe for us and help us visualize what is it like to use the PIX4D software? So what, is, what are my next steps when I get to the office? How do I take the data that I've collected and put it into your software? What do I then have the options to do with it? And how do I interact with it within your guys' program? Sure. This is the typical workflow that somebody would follow in the field. Um, you arrive on site. You secure the scene. You say, okay, there's my vehicles. This is the vicinity I need to map. And you connect your drone and you put it on the ground. And then before you take off, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to put what I call a reference measurement protocol on the ground. That means put down an independent tape, you know, a tape measure. Put a tape measure down so that you have some proof of the, of the actual measurement accuracy. Then you go back to your drone and you, you connect your phone to it, and you load up our app. It's called Pix40 Capture. You can use any app on the market. There's quite a few different ones out there. But basically, it's just going to pull up a map or a satellite image of where you're sitting at, and you just draw a square around the area you want to map. And you say, take off. The drone takes off, and it automatically flies a grid mission, or sort of like that line search pattern. It just flies a grid, mi grid mission or a lawnmower pattern over the scene, capturing a photo every second or so. So that means that now 
you know, for a typical collision scene, we got like 150 photos. And then the drone lands. You just check that on the SD card of the drone that the, cap- the photos are captured, that they're clear, they're in focus, they're not blurry. And that's the field work. Then you go back to the office or you open your processing laptop and you put all the photos on the, on the computer. And then you go into Pix40 Mapper or you have other software too, but most folks are using Pix40 Mapper. And you open up the software and you import your photos, you give your project a name, you tell it that you want your project in feet rather than in meters, because we're here. In yes, the please. States. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and then you just press start processing, and it'll go through, and what the software is doing is, and I find this fascinating, right? I mean, some people, it's too technical, but the software goes through every single photograph, and it calculates what's called a key point. So a key point is a texture or... just an independent point in that photograph. So imagine if I took a picture of a white wall, there's not going to be that many key points because it's a blanket white wall. It's super boring. But if you took a, you know, a picture of a, of a, you know, a a wall that has blood splatter or a roadway that has lines in, you know, debris and different color and stuff, it has more texture or it has more stuff going on. So then basically we find the exact same point in one photograph and we find that exact same point in other photographs around it. So that means that I can see one point on the ground from maybe 10 different angles or 10 different photographs that were taken in the air. And then the software triangulates where that one point on the ground is from all the photographs. And that's how we're able to construct this highly realistic, highly accurate 3D model of exactly what that scene looks like. And then from there, once you have this 3D model, we just make the 2D map based off of that. So a lot of that's actually that's little, cool. Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive because a lot of times people think you make the 2D map and then you make the 3D model. But the reality is to make an accurate 2D map, you first have to make the fully realistic 3D model and then just set all the Z axis pixels to zero. And that becomes your. Computer. OK, yep. yeah, I would have made that assumption as well, that it was the other way around. Yeah. Well, let me put you on the hot seat here on God. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta point out, you guys don't have a monopoly on, <laughs> on uh, software for creating uh, these, these interactive, uh, for, for mapping out footage captured from, from drones. So there's other options out there in the marketplace that maybe uh, some of those that are listening to the show that are interested in, uh, in deploying this sort of a program in their agency. There's other programs that they might be evaluating or looking at. So why Pix4D? What makes you guys different? Why are you better? Why should they choose you guys? There's three things. And there's a reason that all of the state patrols that have a drone reconstruction program use Pix4D. That includes, you know, Washington State Patrol, the largest drone program, Texas Department of Public Safety, Colorado got started, we got Vermont, we got Pennsylvania, we got Virginia. We got uh, North Carolina is a really big, high-profile one. You know, shout out to Trooper Brian Leventhal, my good buddy down there. And so there's and there's a lot more too, right? There's a lot more after that. You know, North Dakota, etc. Oregon as well. Billy Bush out there is a great guy. But the reason that we have all these departments using Pix4D is because, quite frankly, it's the best software on the market. We make the most accurate 3D reconstruction. Now, of course, you can say that, and it can be the best. But now let's go into three reasons of why that's the case um, and why Pix4D. One of them is that we have desktop-based software. Most of the folks that have software that takes images, turns them into 3D models, they use the cloud or the, the software sits on the internet on an Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure or uh, Google server. 
somewhere. And a lot of folks are, are concerned about CGIS or, you know, CGIS, criminal justice information security. And they don't want to send their active evidence, their digital evidence to the cloud. So since Pix40 is really the only one that has desktop based software that's affordable, that's, I think, the number one reason is because it's desktop based software. It's local. You control your data the whole way through. We can't see what you're processing. It's sitting there on your own machine. And if you have like a bunch of dead bodies in a data set, that's probably a good thing. And then on top of that, I think it really comes down to training, right? This is new technology. It's a new vernacular. It's a new way of thinking. You can't just put a software out there on the market and then expect people to adopt it. You have to teach them how it works and explain to them that. And I think Pix4D has done a lot of work investing in training. Um, I used to teach the classes. I used to travel around the whole country teaching departments, teaching surveyors, giving lectures, etc. And having a dedication to getting the word out there has been very helpful. But even more than that, if you Google any question related to Pix4D, for example, go out there and Google getting started with Pix4D. We have over 800 support articles and YouTube videos and all this other stuff that's free information. That's how I learned this technology before I joined the company. I was, you know, doing academic research, looking into machine learning and drones and, and the science of remote sensing, right? And I learned this software by watching all the free YouTube videos. Um, and then I was hired by Pix4D. But YouTube University. Yeah, exactly. You got to give free <laughs> information, right? You got to teach people how this stuff works. And so for those are, so those are yeah. sort of the reasons of why Pix4D. There are competitors in the space, but most of them are cloud-based. Um, and the ones that are uh, desktop based are either incredibly expensive, uh, not as accurate or not from like a friendly country. Got it. That was that was a very PC way of saying that. <laughs> nice job. I hope that's a, I hope that's a <laughs> thank you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you started to talk a little bit there. You shared uh, a little on your background. Why don't you kind of give us some more of like, how did you get started with drones? How did this become an interest to you? And how did you end up with Pix4D? And what does that genesis look like? So Pix4D is a Swiss company. We're based out of Lausanne, Switzerland. Now we have seven offices in the world. We got Tokyo, Madrid, Berlin, Denver, Colorado. We had one in San Francisco that I used to work out of. And then now I'm technically out of uh, Denver. And, and so it's a Swiss company. And it really started about 10 years ago out of our uh, CEO, Dr. Christoph Strecha, um, out of his postdoc work. So his PhD work at, uh, at this university in Switzerland. And I was studying in university and I was doing academic research in a science called remote sensing, which is basically analysis of satellite imagery and an analysis of images in general. And I kept reading these papers and people were talking about drones and and, and they were saying, yeah, you can make these geospatial data sets, these data sets of the world around us, 3D models and whatnot, out of drones. And I was like, this is going to be the future. Like, these things are so cheap. I mean, for $2,000, you can get a drone that can capture data that's higher quality than an airplane with a $100,000 camera could, you know, 20 years ago. That's a significant innovation. And so I said, all right, this is, this is it. This is what I like. And I started doing research with it. I started flying farm fields, doing analysis of crops. And then I did an internship where I, uh, I worked for a drone company in Asia. And I got to go and, you know, fly in the middle of a desert or go into the mountains and, and fly a survey of a mountainside that had never been surveyed before with a, with a, you know, drone. And these were the early days of drones. So they would crash a lot. 
and create these data sets, right? And then I, you know, finished up my schooling and I went and I decided that Pix4D had the best software on the market and I wanted to work for them. So I reached out and the individual at the time who later became our managing director in the North America, a guy named Paul Spar, who's an amazing guy. Actually, Adam, he could be a super cool guest for this inter- uh, for this podcast. But uh, Paul, yeah, was, send him my way. Yeah, for sure. Paul was uh, Paul was a paramedic, um, and I had a brief stint working on a working on an ambulance. You know, I'm Indian. I thought I'd be a doctor, so I worked on the ambulance. And uh, so then Paul saw that, hey, I was like a drone guy now with remote sensing and this strong background, but I I'd also worked on an ambulance like him. And, you know, obviously he'd been a paramedic, a flight paramedic. So he had a long career and I had a very short stint in the summer, but he liked that. And he invited me out for an interview and then I, they flew me out to San Francisco and then they were like, yeah, this guy's got it. So they were hired me and Paul was doing all the public safety engagement. And when Paul got promoted um, to the U S managing director, he needed somebody to go out there and be on the ground with departments. And he felt like I was the best person to have those interactions in the company. Um, I mean, my dad's a, you know, a former special forces operator. So I've been around guys with that sort of mindset. So I do a lot of the DOD work and I do a lot of the, um, the public safety work. And I quite frankly, just like being around people and chatting with people. And I'm a super frank, honest guy. And I think that's helpful when you're working in this space. So when I explain the tech, I don't just tell you how good it is. I also tell you where you're going to screw up and what's bad and what are the limitations of the technology. And I think that sort of honesty has been helpful for me so far. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that is really important uh, when connecting with uh, especially the decision makers in, in law enforcement. Well, I appreciate you sharing the background with me. This has been an awesome, awesome episode so far uh, on God. I appreciate it, Adam. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to cover that we didn't do so up to this point? Really, folks out there that are listening to the podcast, right? I mean, it's all this technology. It's all this new language, this new vernacular. The easiest way to learn about it is for me or somebody like myself to tell you about it. So you can reach out to us and uh, you can put my email in there if you want. It's ungood.sing at pix4d.com. And I pretty much just talk to different departments all day long. And that's what I like to do. And, and that's what I'm, I'm helpful at. Um, and so that's something that's really important is just never being worried or afraid to reach out and have a conversation and learn something new. And in public safety, we're seeing a great adoption curve of technology. Right now, the biggest hindrance is that DGI is the most popular drone company. Uh, it's a Chinese company. And the thing is, they've recently been villainized or scrutinized by U.S. government and other global governments in regards to information security of the data that they're capturing. And this is something that we really just need as an industry to figure out because there are other options when it comes to drones and those are becoming more popular now because of the information security concerns. And I think once the U.S. government puts out proper um, you know, laws or regulations on what they need for information security from a drone, that's going to allow the industry to go full steam ahead. I mean, it's a little bit of a hiccup, but it's not a really big hiccup, right? I mean, for the software side, from Pix4D's perspective, we've had an awesome year. I've talked to so many different departments and set up so many different departments and done webinars with with guys, collision reconstructionists, um, Office of Emergency Management. We, we built this software called Pix4D React, 
that's super easy to use. Um, I priced it really, really low because I wanted everyone to have the ability to access it from a price standpoint. Um, and it makes maps really fast. And we've seen that used in hurricane response, tornado response, before someone delivers a warrant or sometimes for a hot wash after the warrant delivery. We've seen departments fly and just create quick maps of that outdoor scene uh, with the drone. And so the application and... Yeah, that's an excellent use too. Yeah. We've really seen some amazing work. And I know that um, I had a conversation about three years ago now with a captain from uh, Alameda County Sheriff's Department who I know in California that I know pretty well. And he's, I asked him, sir, what do you think when you compare drones and mapping software to other innovations? I said, where does this compare? And he said, Unga, the drone is as powerful as when we got radios. And think about every single yeah, wow. that has a radio. Every yeah, that's a big statement. Yeah. So, so that for me, that meant that, wow, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of growth to be had. Um, and that kind of pumped me up and, and, and kept me, you know, keeping my head down and, and trying to help people. Right on. Well, why don't you tell us uh, how uh, folks can connect with you and Pix4D? So you can send us an email. Um, it's just us.sales at pix4d.com or go on the pix4d.com website and uh, file, like, a, just you say, contact us and fill out the form. If it's public safety related, you're going to hear from me. You can also just email me directly. Uh, ungad, A-N-G-A-D dot sing, which is S-I-N-G-H at pix4d.com. And I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. And I'll go ahead and provide those links in the show notes down below, along with uh, some links to your guys' social media uh, and your website. And specifically, I was I was looking around on your website under the public safety stuff, and I saw a couple of really cool resources on there that I'm going to share in the show notes as well. One of those was a webinar uh, on using the PIX4D mapper for collision re reconstruction. Yep. And the other was an actual example of a digitized accident scene. So I'm going to go ahead and put links to those in the show notes as well so people can check those out. Yeah, that would be super cool. I appreciate that, Adam. You know, when in this whole journey of, of technology adoption, um, we've done, we've had awesome times doing these webinars. I've got to do these webinars with, with, you know, real boots on the ground guys. And, uh, I think this year, a lot of work has gone into figuring out the nighttime workflow. So mapping in the dark and we have a lot of guys doing that. So awesome. Well, on God, thanks for being on the show. Uh, it's been awesome. You know, Adam, I really appreciate it, man. And you know, congrats on everything that's happened in your life recently. And thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, anytime. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Public Safety Innovators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please head over to my website at publicsafetyinnovatorspodcast.com or simply psi.chat where you can check out episode notes and other episodes from the show. While you're there... You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really anywhere else that you prefer to listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate if you could help other people find the show by leaving a review wherever it is that you prefer to listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you if you have feedback about the show, a suggestion on a guest, 
or maybe you're a public safety innovator yourself and would like to be a guest on the show, please head over to my contact page on the website and you can submit that information there or just email me at adam at psi.chat. All right, I'll catch you on the next episode.